Hello, Restore. I mean, so grateful that you're joining us today. I mean, I'm Troy McMahon, and I have the privilege to be the lead pastor here. Today, we're beginning this brand new series on this remarkable book out of the Old Testament known as Jonah. Now, now Jonah is one of those books that frequently gets published as a kid's picture book. And it's got these pictures of Jonah, and he's running away. And then we get Jonah, and he gets swallowed by a whale or a big fish. And then we get Jonah, and he's spit out after three days on the shore. And, and then he goes, and he does what God asks him to. And everything ends up great. It's a cute bedtime story, and many of those facts are actually true. But I'll tell you, there's so much more. You see... This is more actually a real story of the ways that you and I, we live out the choices of Jonah in our everyday lives. So this is my hope throughout the series, is that you and I, we make Jonah's story our story. So every time, every time we're tempted to say, why did Jonah do that? I wanted to turn it on ourselves and says, why do I do that? So today, well, we're going to focus on Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to read the entire chapter. So here we go. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up, and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, and he went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing this violent storm and threatening to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors, they shouted to their gods for help. They threw cargo overboard, and they lightened the ship. But all this time, Jonah, he was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How could you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us. Maybe he will spare our lives. And then the crew, they cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, well, the lots fell to Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, Why, what, what, what are you? Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's, what's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. Well, the sailors, they were terrified when they heard this, for he'd already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the storm was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's got, oh Lord, please, please don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have set this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And then the sailors picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. And the sailors, they were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice. They vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days 
and three nights. Whew. What a start to the story. Now, now I have this love-hate relationship with exercise. I hate to exercise. I love not doing it. But, but from time to time over the years, I've tried to be more regular in my physical exercise. This just happened recently, and here's how it goes. For the first day, I set my alarm. I get up before it even rings. I get my clothes on, and I go exercise. And well, it's okay. And the next day, I set the alarm, and I actually get up when the alarm does ring, and I put my clothes on, and I do it again. Day three, alarm goes off. I hit the snooze, maybe three or four times. But then I get up and I exercise. Day four, I forget, right? And I'm done. I'm done. I don't set the alarm. I don't get up. And then I just say to myself, well, I'll pick it up again next year for this glorious four-day experience. Now, I've had a hard time exercising over the years. And maybe you've had a hard time exercising or something as well. But this is something I know about myself and I think I know about life. That you and I, we know how to avoid. To do the opposite of what we know we should do. And we've got this great endurance when it comes to avoiding the things that God calls us to. Because from time to time, God tells us to do some hard stuff, some difficult stuff. And, and we have this way of finding intestinal fortitude to avoid it. Every day, every day, God invites me, he invites you, he invites us to follow him. And following him sometimes means to do something that's hard. See, God has this way of calling us into doing things that we really don't like to do. But I've also learned it's the hard things that often bring about the greatest transformation in our world. It's the hard things that often bring about wholeness in our own lives. And this is what we see in Jonah. God calls. But like Jonah, well, we have a way of avoiding. Like Jonah, well, we often run from what God wants us to do. So let's dive deeper into the story of Jonah. Now, we don't know much about Jonah. We do know that he is a prophet. And well, a prophet is someone who is kind of anointed or appointed by God to receive a message, and then they are supposed to deliver that message to God's people or to some direct person that God has directed them to. And we see that Jonah is a prophet in this way. He receives a word from God. But we look throughout the Old Testament and we see stories and stories of where there's prophet after prophet where they receive a word from God and they're obedient to tell it to the people around them. But it seems like for Jonah, well, he hasn't gotten the description right. He's kind of a bit different. Starting again in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked it is, the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, Jonah seems to get the first part, right? God says, get up, go this way. And Jonah says, okay, I'm up, I'm listening. And God says, go over here to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, 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 that's crazy. I'm going the opposite way. And Jonah doesn't just go the opposite way. He says, I'm going to get away from God. And as you read this, you, you probably ought to be laughing out loud. Because how can you get away from God? I mean, he's everywhere. And so you got to ask, why? Why is Jonah running from God? Well, maybe Jonah is running because of fear. A little backstory: Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria is where modern-day Iraq is. And they were known in the ancient world for their cruelty. 
their brutality. And so to tell Jonah to go preach to this empire or against this empire, right? I mean, that could strike a terror. It would be like God saying to a Ukrainian prophet or priest, you go to Moscow and you share the truth with Putin. Or a Jew would go to Berlin during World War II to talk with Hitler. Or a, a black person would go to a KKK rally or a white nationalist convention to speak God's truth. So yeah, pretty logical for Jonah to be afraid. But we discover that it's more than just a fear that Jonah has toward the people of Nineveh. Jonah's afraid, all right. But we found out later, in a later chapter, that he's not afraid of them. He's afraid of God. He's afraid that if he obeys God and preaches God's word, well, then God's going to forgive them. He's afraid that God will indeed show mercy to them. So Jonah says, no way, uh-uh, I'm not going there, I'm going there. And so Jonah gets on the ship, and then it happens. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind against the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Now this word hurled in the wind is the same word that's used in the book of Samuel. When Saul, who is jealous of David, he wants to pin David to the wall. He takes this javelin and he hurls it at, dad, at David. It's like God says, I'm hurling the wind like a javelin. I want to pin Jonah down. He hurls this great wind on the sea, this great storm, and the ship's about to break apart. And fearing for their lives, the, the desperate sailors, they shout to their gods for help. They threw their cargo overboard and alight in the ship. But all this time, well, Jonah, he's sound asleep in the hole. Now listen, these people are in a storm. And the person who God has called to represent him is asleep. My friends, this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for me, for you, for us, the church. Because there are storms all around us. I mean, the world is upside down. And too often, too often, my friends, we have fallen asleep. As a matter of fact, Jonah is meant to be the embodiment of the community of Israel, God's chosen people that he is sending to be the saviors of the world. And we too, as the church, we're called to be God's representatives right here, right now on earth. I mean, Jesus gave this to us. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But like Jonah, too often, well, we're asleep. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. I mean, everyone's crying out to their God and Jonah is sound asleep. And then we, we see Jonah being rebuked by a pagan. I mean, he is supposed to bring God's word to them, but Jonah is being called out by these sailors. And so they tell him to come on up and help, but it's not working. We read then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Joseph as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? I mean, the, the ship's sinking, so let's cast lights. Let's flip a coin and through this process of elimination, let's find out who's responsible for this. And finally, 
it all comes down to Jonah. And after this chaos, the prophet, who is pretty good with words, but up to this point has not spoken, he finally speaks. And Jonah does so reluctantly. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. And the sailors, they're terrified when they heard this, for he'd already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And Jonah says this is actually very simple to solve, right? He just tells them, throw me over and everything will become. He says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. Now notice, Jonah doesn't say, hey, why don't you just turn the boat around so I can do what I'm supposed to do and then God will calm the sea. He doesn't do that because, see, Jonah would rather die than do what God called him to. Jonah says, throw me into the water. I'd rather die. Right here, this is where Jonah's at. But sometimes... It's where we are too. That I'd just rather die than do what God asked me to do. There's no way I could do that. You can't ask that of me. Pastor John Ortberg, he puts Jonah's story to the language of Dr. Seuss to kind of help us understand it, maybe in a different way. I like how he says it. Here's how it goes The Lord speaks. Could you, would you go to preach? Could you, would you go to reach? The people in Assyria for you fit my criteria. And Jonah replies, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like those people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea. So stop this talk and let me be. Well, the sailors think, I mean, this guy's crazy. And so what do they do? Do they throw him over? No, they keep rowing harder. I mean, they're like, ah, we're not killing you. And they continue to row desperately. And then I love this. I mean, these people who are pagans, who worship all other gods, they see Jonah, they hear him speak of this God who's created land and sea. And all of a sudden, well, they start praying to the Lord. They start changing their prayers very quickly. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord, Jonah's God, and they say, Oh, Lord, they pleaded, please don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him in your, for your own good reasons. In other words, they're saying, Lord, forgive us for what we're about to do. And then the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea. And the sea stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered God a sacrifice. And they vowed to serve him. Now, when you listen to those words, I mean, you just have to hear the irony. I mean, Jonah has done everything wrong. And these people still come to faith in the God of Israel. They come to faith in the one true God. I mean, Jonah's been sleeping. Jonah's been quiet. 
He's not preached the word to them. And yet these people, by the end of this story, this section of it, have become followers of the Lord and they vow to serve him. My friends, this is good news. Good news for you and good news for me. Because how many times, how many times have I messed up? How many times have I said the wrong stuff? How many times have I not been a good witness for Jesus? And somehow God still, still works out good in spite of my failures, in spite of my mistakes. And so Jonah, well, he's thrown into the sea. Now the Lord had arranged for this great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, if I could just, as we kind of reflect back on those 17 verses, I'd like to maybe just bring maybe three lessons that you and I can walk away from this first chapter. That we can walk away kind of answering the question, what does this have to do with you and me? What does this have to do with our life before God? Well, here's the first thing. Running from and avoiding God's call is a universal struggle. I mean, the story of Jonah, it's our autobiography. Sometimes we run from God, and we know, we know what to do, but we do the opposite. I mean, we know we need to forgive, but we hold that grudge. We know we're called to be generous to others, but hey, my stuff, my money, that's mine. We, we know where God wants us to go, but we head the opposite direction. I mean, running's a struggle we all have to deal with, and the truth is we often run away from the calling that God has on us. And we do it either individually or collectively. But the call, it's clear. Jesus spoke these words that I think were powerful for us today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere. God has anointed you with his spirit. He has given you gifts and desires and passions. And well, you and I, we've gone the other way. And the Holy Spirit is here today to remind you. He's actually hurling a javelin your way and saying, I've set you apart. I've called you. I've given you passions. Are you using them for my glory? Are you using it for service to others? God is getting our attention, not just individually, but collectively, and saying, will you follow me? That's the first lesson we learn. Running from God's call is a universal struggle. The second lesson we learn from the story is this. Our decisions, well, they tend to have a larger impact on others. You see, Jonah's disobedience had led others to be overtaken by a storm, right? And this is a word of caution to those of us who tend to personalize everything, right? The decisions we make, we have to understand, are not just private decisions. The decisions that you and I make often often have impact on others, often have impact on the larger world around us. So that's number two. And thirdly, and here's the good news. This is the good news of this lesson. God works for good despite our failures. And what good news that is. I mean, God brings great repentance to people through an unrepentant prophet. I mean, the irony is incredible. There's an unrepentant and disobedient prophet bringing about repentance and revival to those around him. I love that God works despite my failures, despite your failures. Every single week, I'm failing. And somehow God is working for good despite my failures, despite yours. So, so to summarize this chapter, 
I think it boils down simply to this question. Am I going to live doing my will or God's will? It's very simple. Is it my will or is it God's will? I mean, with my finances, is it my will or God's will? I mean, with my time, is it my will or God's will? I mean, with my relationships, is it my will or is it God's will? When I'm negotiating conflict, is it my will or God's will? When I'm speaking up for justice, is it my will or is it God's will? If you want to summarize the story of Joanne, the story of my life, the story of your life, it's simply, is it my will or is it God's will? And I'll tell you, thank God. Thank God for Jesus who said in the garden before he would die, not my will, but yours be done. And through the decisions that he made in his obedience, everything changed forever. That's why we're here today. That's why we worship his name. That's why we pray, not my will, but yours be done. So here's what I want us to close out kind of our time together right here. I want to do, even where you are, kind of this response. This response in prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to say in my, and I'm going to fill in the blank, like in my life, and then I want you to respond and say out loud wherever you are, not my will, but yours be done. And then I'm going to say something else in my, and I want you to respond with not my will, but yours be done. And I want you just to allow God to speak to you, to even say these words as you try to relinquish control, not my will, but yours be done. If you would, let's do this together. In my life, not my will, but yours be done. In my family, not my will, but yours be done. In my career, not my will, but yours be done. In my finances, not my will, but yours be done. In my soul, not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We are so grateful, so grateful that you love us, man. That when we were, are repentant, when we're following you, you use us and we get this front row seat to watch you do dramatic, incredible things. But God, even at times when we as your children are unrepentant, even when we're running in the opposite direction, as you're calling us back, God, you're working still and we get a chance to see it. Help us to be repentant, obedient followers that constantly go, not my will, but yours be done. We lift this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.